This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. God has given you a sign to help you check direction, to pause, to figure out where you are, In my personal journey of following Jesus, I cannot begin to tell you how thankful I am for the sign I would like to share with you today. And how sad it is for me as a leader when I watch people choose to drive by the sign, to ignore the sign, Because what happens when you miss the sign? On any journey, what happens when you miss the sign? Someone's getting lost. Someone's getting frustrated. The journey gets longer than maybe it needs to be. More difficult than it needs to be. The wilderness can be a very dangerous, unforgiving place for the person who chooses to not heed the sign. The longer and more important a journey is, the more vital heeding the signs becomes. You are on a journey and God has given you a sign. Not an arrival sign, not a sign that says, I have arrived, but a directional sign that tells you how to keep going. We've been in a series in the Ten Commandments. If you're a guest and and just starting with us today, uh, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com and listen to the previous messages and get caught up. But for thousands of years, God's people have anchored their journey in the ethic of the Ten Commandments. It's the way God has said creates life. For people moving into the promised land, for churches for 2,000 years seeking to understand what it means to practice that Jesus is the truth and the way. There's a way to live. Such as, I'm the Lord your God who delivered you from slavery. Have no other gods before me. That'll keep you on the path. Aaron, one of our elders, shared with us, hey, don't make for yourself an idol. What does that mean? Well, God has said, you don't need to make idols. I already made the image bearer, and it's you. Thrive and shine as my image bearer. Last week, bear the name. Don't bear it in vain. Carry God's reputation well. Put that crown on and hold it up high. For he has crowned you with love and righteousness. And this week, in your notes, let's write it down together. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. To keep it holy, remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy. Holy. 
We come to an interesting place within the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew language uh, cares as much about architecture and design as it actually does about the words in something that you're reading. The writers of Hebrew literature would put a lot of thought into how things are set up spatially in a passage to help the readers understand what's most important. And in the Ten Commandments, we're coming towards the center which is a big deal in Hebrew literature. When you come to the center of something, oftentimes they'll bury a very important truth. And so here we are, if you could think of the Ten Commandments as God's means of recreating humanity into its best version of itself. God, a sculptor, taking the first three commandments to chisel off big chunks. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then from the other side, You know, five other, hey, don't murder, don't lie, don't commit, big chunks of marble coming off, leaving humanity's best version in the center with two positive commands. Remember the Sabbath, honor your father and mother. They both kind of drive towards, both sides of the commandments drive towards this center section where God says, remember Sabbath, honor home. On the first side of the commandments, it's as if God says, love God. On the other side of the commandments, it's how to love others. And like a door that hinges, it swings upon. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. It's a link. Loving God, loving others overlaps in the space of and the time of Sabbath and home. Further, if you want to fly at 30,000 feet, the writers of Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, do the same thing. See, Genesis and Deuteronomy as books in the Bible have a lot in common. They overlap really, really well to say some important things. And Exodus and Numbers overlap really, really amazingly in interesting ways. As Exodus is all about going out into the wilderness to meet with God, and the numbers is leaving God and going out into the wilderness to the promised land. And it puts the book of Leviticus right in the center, which is basically where everybody dies off in their commitment to read through the Bible in a year. Right? Right? Hit Genesis. Genesis is awesome. This is good. I get these stories. I remember these stories. We're into Exodus. We're calling down plagues and, and Pharaoh and the water and again Leviticus. And you're like, uh, I'm done. I'm done. But right in the center of the Torah, in the book about tabernacle and priest and holiness, right in the center of that book, God has this to say. In Leviticus 19, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. How many of you have heard that before? Church people, right? Some of you are church people. I've heard that before. God says, I'm holy, you be holy. Uh, you be like me. You be set apart. You be different in how and what you do. And look at how God follows that up. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. And interesting. Leviticus 19, verse 3. Be holy for I am holy. I am the Lord your God. You know what's sandwiched right in the middle of that? You know what you need to do? You need to revere your mother and your father. You need to keep my Sabbaths. Wow, it's something 
really important seems to be buried within these two positive commandments of Sabbath and home. Key in our faith, God says, is learning how to honor time and holy space. Holy time, holy space. So let's, let's see if we can't come up with a biblical understanding of, of what Sabbath is. I tried to give you lots of space in your notes to maybe write some things down that are helpful for you. Maybe something stands out that you want to come back to. Not going to explicitly tell you to write something down. Uh, might hint at it in our journey. As we put together maybe a working definition of Sabbath, it would probably include certain elements like this. Sabbath literally means to cease. To stop. To rest. Literally, that's the word it means. Shabbat means cease. You're doing something, stop. Stop. But beyond that, the Sabbath as a day, as a time, is first holy time. A Sabbath is a holy time. It's God time. It's centered on who God is and what God does. It's centered on him. It's holy time that comes at the end. The end of what? You'll see it doesn't really matter. Except this. There's lots of work, lots of labor, lots of toil, and then God says, stop. There's going to be a lot of work and a lot of labor and a lot of toil, and then God's going to say, stop. It's a holy time at the end for celebrating, for singing and rejoicing and fellowship, specifically our restoration in God. Our rest, isn't that how the word restoration starts? We celebrate our rest that is found in God. So to understand Sabbath, Sabbath is a holy time at the end where we celebrate our restoration in God. Our challenge is Sabbath is all over Scripture. And it's our understanding and the theological teaching of Sabbath kind of morphs and changes and moves you all over the landscape of ideas. It's almost like we're kind of searching for this place that we were supposed to find last night. There's a clue here and there's a clue here and a clue here. So what I want to do with you in the remainder of our time is just to give you some clues. And what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to go forwards in Scripture and go backwards in Scripture. We have to go here and then we have to bounce over there and gleaning some things as we form together a biblical understanding of what Sabbath is. Okay? So, but why don't we start with the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 8 to 11, and let's see what it has to teach us. Exodus 20, you turn there in your copy of Scripture, uh, verses will be up on the screen. We're actually going to look at both places in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments are given. Let's start here in Exodus 20 and see what it shows us in how it dials in this holy time. Exodus 20, I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. 
Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You don't have to have a theological training to make the first very key obvious observation. There's a lot of real estate in that passage in the Ten Commandments given to the Sabbath. I mean, some of these commands don't steal. Like, move on to the next one. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not real keen on people stealing my stuff, right? I mean, maybe we should open that one up a little bit. But look how much space, ink on the page, the writer gives towards understanding Sabbath. He says, remember, it means to commemorate something, to notice it, to make it a priority, to give your attention towards. He talked about how it's the seventh at the end of work and labor. You're going to do your work and you're going to do your labor and you're going to blood, sweat, and tears and then you're going to stop. It's that holy time that comes at the end of. You're going to cease. Why? This is the example that God gives you. Because in God's creation, he worked and then he stopped. Part of the understanding of what Sabbath is, is that God's creator, I'm part of that creation, and I'm going to model my life on top of this creation habit. Sabbath is about recognizing and celebrating my creation by God. Okay. Why don't we now look at the Deuteronomy passage? That's the second giving of the Ten Commands and see if that helps us a little bit more as we start to get a biblical understanding of what this is. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law, which makes sense because here's the second set of Ten Commandments. But it's just a little bit different. Deuteronomy 5, I'm going to read, start reading in verse 12. I'll go down through verse 15. You follow along. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You can see a lot of parallels. There's a lot of things that they have in common. The command to keep it, to observe it, 
to the extent, because it's not just about you resting, right? Make sure that you are giving rest to your son. Give rest to your daughter. Give rest to the slaves that are in your house. Give rest to the livestock. Give rest to everything around. Even you make sure that you are creating a system where the sojourner passing through can find rest. Those are common in both. But this one is held up from the basis of remembering, not that God created, but that God then recreated and delivered Israel out of bondage. Part of the sign of Sabbath is that God has set us free. And so we celebrate that deliverance. All right, so let me just review some of the clues as I'm putting them together. Okay, so this is a holy time. It's God time. It's set aside. It's one day out of six in their rhythm to look back and remember creation and deliverance. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Okay. But I'm not a Jew. I'm not Jewish. And oftentimes when you get to number four in the Ten Commandments, this is where most people fall off, right? Well, they start to struggle around the idea of idols anyways. But then you get to the, you know, don't, you know, remember the Sabbath. You're like, but we don't have a Saturday Sabbath and we don't do those things. We're in Jesus. How does Jesus change that? Because if you read Jesus's life, there were always fights surrounding Sabbath. What Sabbath was, what Sabbath was not, what Jesus was doing on the Sabbath. But does Jesus change that? Let me give you some, some, just some broad strokes, some passages to reflect and meditate on. If you're to look at the end of Matthew chapter 11 and the beginning of Matthew 12, this comes up. Gospels like Luke work through Jesus' life chronologically, okay? Birth, death, things move in a pattern of time. Matthew put his gospel together thematically, topically. He chunks things together based on the teaching that Jesus is addressing. When you get to the end of like Matthew 11, Jesus says something like this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's easy and it's light. I will give you rest. I will give you Shabbat. I will give you Sabbath. Learn from me, he says, I will give you rest. Then right after that, Matthew includes two illustrations of Jesus' life surrounding Sabbath. He combines those ideas. One of them is when the disciples were walking through a field on the Sabbath day, they took some of the grain to eat it. Big no-no, Pharisees say, you don't do that, that's work. You're not harvesting grain, you don't harvest grain on the Sabbath, it's a no-no. In the middle of this altercation, Jesus has this to say, yeah, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath works for me. The Sabbath is about me. Oh, they're getting mad. And then Matthew records, Jesus goes into a synagogue where the Pharisees try to trip him up and they bring him a, a person who's not at their best, hands all riddled up, sick, deformed, to see what Jesus will do. Jesus knows this. He knows their heart. And he asked him, is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? Is it wrong to put people back together again on the Sabbath? Well, you should be like, well, hold on a second. Jesus is all about restoration, right? So Jesus heals this person. 
In fact, the gospel accounts are full of Jesus restoring and healing people specifically on Sabbath, the day that he says he's the Lord of. This is one of the reasons that the Jews set out to kill him. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I put people back together. I restore people. Well, that kind of makes sense as we're starting to trace some of the clues. What's Sabbath all about? Well, it's this holy time that comes at the end when we celebrate our restoration in God. So it's right to see Jesus restoring people. But it's Paul, I think, that helps us a lot with Sabbath. In Colossians chapter 2, this might be a helpful one for you. It's just a passing verse, but I think it helps us a lot in the obedience to this commandment and understanding its beauty. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, maybe you could imagine the Apostle Paul is always dealing with a culture clash in his churches. You have followers of Jesus that come from a Jewish heritage, which means they keep Sabbath. Sundown to sundown, Friday night to Saturday night, they are Sabbathing, resting. But there's also this growing population of what we call Gentiles, people like you and me. I'm not Jewish. I grow with Sabbath. Okay? You don't do that kind of thing. Well, some of the Jews are like, well, you need to keep Sabbath. You're like, I don't need to keep Sabbath. I'm not Jewish. I follow Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is constantly trying to get these people to come together. For some people, like, yeah, if you want to do that, you can do that. If you want to follow the Jewish dietary code, you are free to do that. If you don't want to, you don't have to. I like pepperoni on my pizza. That's fine. You have pepperoni on your pizza. I don't want pepperoni on my pizza. That's fine. You don't have to have pepperoni on your pizza. The kingdom of God is not about what you eat and you drink. Don't fight over it. Don't, use, don't lose unity over that. Further, he says, it's not about particular days and seasons of worship. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. So Paul unpacks a mystery. He puts some big clues together for us when it comes to this issue of Sabbath. He says there's nothing wrong with keeping Sabbath. Keep it or not keep it. But what you need to understand is it's a silhouette. It's a silhouette of something to come. The substance of that silhouette is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The sign of Sabbath points to Jesus and things to come. A holy time at the end of our work where we celebrate the restoration of God. Before, what? Where did the clues point back to? The clues are pointing back to, hey, Sabbath is about remembering creation and deliverance. Yes, but now in Jesus, Sabbath now points to new creation. Not just a day to not work. Sabbath is a holy time at the end. 
So again, let me remind us of, of, of story, of the story, because the Ten Commandments fit within story, and the beginning of the Ten Commandments invite us to remember that story of deliverance. And if you're a guest, maybe this will be helpful. If you're not a guest, you'll be like, yep, here he goes again. Okay, so where does the story start? Good creation, okay? If you have a theologian and a teacher who doesn't start with good creation, bad theologian. Because the story starts good. It's a good creation where humanity is blessed into paradise and Eden and relationship with God and everything is working the way God has intended it to do. The story starts good. Then what happens? We screw it up. And it's full of treason and lying and murder. Why? Because that's what humans do. We give license to sin and we give permission to death. And we corrupt all that's around us. Story starts good, turns real bad very quickly. Yeah. And we continue that mess forever in the story of the Old Testament, don't we? It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But into that story, what happens? God's promise, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to restore this. He's going to start with a guy named Abraham and grow a people and Abraham's kids. And that launches us into the New Testament where the delivering king arrives and we see Jesus doing what? Starting to put humanity back together again. Where he confronts systems of evil. And he confronts death. And he heals culminating in his enthronement upon the cross, king of kings and lord of lords, battling against the monster that is sin and death, goes to the tomb and we're like, oh, we're lost the story. We're losing terribly and evil's like, we win. But all of a sudden he bursts forth and says, no, 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 no. Haven't even started yet. Why don't you join me? Why don't you join me in this restoration journey? And he sends out the apostles and the disciples and churches rise up. These little missions, bastions of kingdom space where people are put back together again. Looking towards what? The time at the end of our labors and the end of our work when Jesus will restore everything in perfection. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. This story is about me. So on a very long, long journey, it's important to have places in time to check the map. Isn't it? I mean, if this is a rescue mission, if that's what we're about, then how important is it to check and make sure we're moving in the right direction? that we're valuing the right things and going down the right path to recalibrate, if you will. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter four. One more place to pick up a couple clues, I think. Hebrews comes at the end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, the book of Hebrews was written, written to Jewish followers of Jesus by their pastor because they weren't quite sure what carries over from my culture and what doesn't. 
I mean, we had a temple and high priests, and now what are we supposed to do? And we, we had Sabbath and Moses' law. What are we supposed to do? And so the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews is all about how Jesus fulfills all of those things. He's greater than the angels, and he's greater than the tabernacle. He's, he's your high priest. And, but he also says, and Jesus is your Sabbath. In Hebrews 4, starting in verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Remember Sabbath, creation, deliverance. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He says, yeah, you know Sabbath is a once a week kind of thing, but Sabbath still exists for God's people to rest in, to rest from the work, to rest from the labor, that thing which comes at the end of that holy where God is at the center. So he says, strive to keep it so you don't get lost, so you don't lose your way, as some are apt to do. So let me see if I can help nail this down a little bit. All right, so I keep Sabbath, do we not keep Sabbath? Are we Jewish, are we not Jewish? Like, just tell me what to do. We added a driver to our insurance policy, a young one, which is awesome. Very proud of me, did a good job. And my wife being on top of things the way that my wife is supposed to be on top of things immediately got on the insurance. Hey, we need to add driver. And she tried for like hours upon hours upon hours to get a hold of the insurance company. Says, hey, we'd love to give you more money. Like answer the phone for crying out loud. She didn't say that. That's my translation. She's very polite and nice, beautiful soul. I married up. Um, (laughs) We're like, we know. So she says, I'm going to go down there. I was just going to talk to him because it's, it's right next to Moore's Brew Barn down in Troy. So she went down, come back. And he says, hey, there's an app for your phone that tracks your driving. I'm like, and this is a good idea. She says, oh yeah, yeah, because we can get credit and points if we're a good driver, and it'll track all those things. And I'm like, and this is a good idea. Oh yeah, we can save lots, okay. Okay, so, and this is what it'll track. It tracks your speed to make sure you don't go over 80 miles an hour. And apparently that's applicable everywhere. So you can go through a school zone as long as you're not going over 80 miles an hour. (laughs) At which point I will show to the police officer my app. Look, my wife gave me an app. (laughs) And she said, I just don't go over 80 and everything's okay. (laughs) Right? It tracks how fast you're going to make sure that you don't go too fast. It tracks how you slow down, that you're not slamming on your brakes. And it's actually like uh, more than eight miles an hour per second. You really have to slam on the brakes to pull that one off, okay? So I'm thinking to myself, all right, so far so good. I mean, I don't speed and drive slowly, but it also tracks how often you pick up your phone. Oh, right? At this point, my wife is sure she's going to win the game as far as driving and slowing down. But then they bring up the phone thing, and I hear my wife in the backseat, oh, this might not be a good idea. 
Because it's all right. And it says, hey, not, you're not changing music. You're not texting. You're not engaging. You're not distracted while you're on your journey. So yesterday morning, uh, Jackson was invited to guest play down in Beaver Creek, which meant I had the virgin mission with the new app and all the backseat drivers that come along with it. Okay? Because we had my in-laws in the car also. And so I am driving down. And maybe we were all just having fun with it. How fast are you going? Not going over 80? You're going too fast. Slow down. Slow down. Don't slow down too fast. You're slowing down too fast. Slow down. Slow down. And we're just going. So don't pick up the, put the phone down. And so we're just going on this journey as this app is checking. Am I going too fast? How am I slowing down? Am I distracted from the road ahead? I noticed something as I was driving. The mere awareness of the app and its presence made me a better driver. Am I going too fast? Am I slowing down well? Am I distracted? Because in that car is precious cargo. Well, if that isn't Sabbath, I don't know what is. Are you going too fast? Do you know how to slow down? Have you gotten distracted? from the path ahead. Is this why so much space is given in the Ten Commandments and throughout all the real estate of Scripture where the writers will say, hey, you strive to enter the rest. Keep it, observe it, remember it. Jesus says, hey, take my yoke and learn from me. Here's a man who kept Sabbath every single day of his life. To set aside holy time to reconnect with the story and recenter on the work of Jesus. To give yourself over for a dedicated moment. To inconvenience yourself. To obey the Ten Commandments and say, God's number one. I'm not going to bow down to my idols. I'm going to carry the name correctly. So let's worship and let's fellowship and let's gather together. We do that now all of a sudden a weekly Sabbath is the mini of our eternal Sabbath. That holy time at the end where we celebrate our restoration in God. So how can we nail this down practically? Parents, did you notice in both the Exodus passage and the Deuteronomy passage, in the medal of the admonition to obey, it says, make sure you give rest to your sons and your daughters. The Ten Commandments weren't given to kids. The Ten Commandments were given to adults. Your responsibility, my responsibility is to rest my sons and daughters to anchor them in the story. 
to incarnate that story, to put the story on flesh. Say, hey, you know how we talk about when God is going to come and make everything right? You know how the story's going to that space? Well, we're gonna do that today. So we're gonna gather and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship and we're gonna put work aside and the idols aside and we're gonna make sure God's number one. We're not gonna celebrate busyness. We're not gonna define our value and how packed full our calendar is. We're gonna find our worth and our value in what Jesus has done. That's why I had us read Psalm 92. If you go to Psalm 92 in your Bible sometime, you might see that it has a heading where it says, for the Sabbath. Because it specifically highlights God's work, not ours. God, this is the work that you have done. Parents, this is going to mean that you're going to have to learn how to manage time. Okay? You're going to have to learn how to carve out space and saying chaos is going to stay out. This goes on the calendar. It doesn't move. I know what it's like. I hear Doug's story and the stories of others and having had young kids. I, we had three boys all within a three-year period. Okay? There's only three years between Lucas to Jackson with Aiden in the middle. Okay? That means at any given Sunday morning, two of our kids were in diapers. So that means that maybe you have to set clothes aside the night before and do baths the night before, and you need to set aside, all right, this is going to be breakfast, and this is when the alarm clock's going to be set, and this is where the second alarm clock's going to be set, just in case the first alarm clock didn't do what we needed it to do. We're going to create a culture where we inconvenience ourselves to set aside holy time for God. Parents, if you need help, talk to my wife. She's nicer than I am. Okay? Lucas was born on a Monday. He was in the church nursery on Sunday. Why? Because that's what we do. So if you need help, us coming alongside... Parents, let us do that. Because parents, I guarantee you, in my 22 years of walking alongside followers of Jesus and families, I have never bumped into a family or parents who set aside church and Sabbath for an extended period of time and then bumped into them later and had them tell me that was the best decision we ever made. We quit going to church and we deprioritized worship and we overscheduled our weekends. And you know what? Our lives are so great right now. It never happens. You know what I do see happen? Almost every time. The marriage tanks, the parenting tanks, work destroys them, their finances hang them. Parents, there's a reason God makes it a big deal. For those of you, you're not young parents or maybe you need to refigure this out because you've forgotten something that's important and we all do it. 
Can you see how Sabbath is a sign to a lost world? Can you do that? Imagine a people who once a week just decide not to show up to the rat race, who decide not to hop on the hamster wheel, to not decide to overtax and overspend and overwork, but literally just get together to put Jesus in the center. Do your neighbors see you consistently, habitually? Man, they get together every Sunday. They get dressed up, carrying these books, and, the, and they go to this, and then they come back. They do it every single Sunday. What are you guys doing? Oh, we go to church. Why? Oh, it's holy time. That's how God puts the pieces back together again. Can you see how perhaps your discipline of Sabbath can become an evangelical sign to a lost world who worships at the wrong idols, who parents the wrong way, who's chasing after the wrong gods, to say, check this out. That path is not going to lead you to the destination that you're looking for. I have a sign for you. I mean, Christians, we're known for holding up signs, right? We're known for standing outside and holding up signs. What if you incarnated this sign? What if you became this sign that something good was on the way and Jesus was at the center of it? Maybe for you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You do not know rest and you do not know peace. And all you know is working harder and striving harder and rat race more and, 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 and hamster wheel faster. And death is beating you and sin is beating you and culture is beating you and your idols have forsaken you and your gods have turned on you. I don't have gods. Oh, you, you're an American. You have gods. Let me introduce you to Jesus. The Lord of Sabbath. Who said, come, take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. Or maybe brother or sister, you just forgot that. Today would be a great time to come home. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. A wise man said that Israel, as Israel kept Sabbath, the Sabbath kept Israel. I think we might find, as Christians keep Sabbath, Sabbath keeps Christians. Take out the connection card, your notes that you received when you walked in. The little piece of paper that we handed to you. Tear out that connection card. Everyone do it. Let's all do it together. Everybody. If you're a guest, thank you for being with us. If you'd like to let us know that you were here, it would mean a lot to us. But beyond that, maybe you feel the weight of life and you're looking for rest. Maybe you've been to church and coming back. Maybe you've gotten lost. Maybe you have no idea of what we're talking about. On that connection card, maybe just write down your name, a way to get a hold of you, and you can write down need rest. Need rest. I'd love to reach out to you just to pray with you and maybe see if we can help get you back on path because there's a really great sign, a really great sign. You can put that connection card in the basket as in the, for our offering time in a little bit. But before that, we're going to slow down for another sign. 
Uh, Adam Bennett, one of our elders, is going to come up and prepare us, help us prepare for the table, the Lord's table. Uh, another way where God says, put me in the story in the middle of all of it. So let me ask a blessing upon you and then Adam will come up. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May you know the warmth of his smile, the blessing of his grace. As you keep Sabbath, he will give you peace. Amen. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.